Good morning, and for all you moms out there, happy Mother's Day. Now, I know that this was probably not the way that you thought that you were going to celebrate this special day. Stuck in your home with little privacy and absolutely no time for yourself. But I hope that this day still expresses, expresses how special and how wonderful that you are. You know, during this COVID-19 season, uh, one of the things that I have been enjoying about this season is just the funny memes that have been created out there. Now, if you don't know what a meme is, it's, it's kind of a picture with a caption written across it. And there'll be times where I'll just be sitting at home and I'll just kind of burst out laughing and, and then my family's just making fun of me. But uh, there have been a few memes that I just want to share with you that have made me smile, but has made me appreciate you moms even more. I mean, the first meme says it this way. How do I put this? You will never sleep again. I, you know, I used to make fun of my wife because she was neither a morning person or a night person. There was never a time that she had just this burst of energy or that she got her second wind. And, and so I would kind of just tease her a little bit. But then I've started to realize is that she's a mom. And moms don't get a choice of whether, when they're going to wake up or when they're going to go to bed. I mean, once the kids are up, you're up and, and you're busy the entire day until they go down to sleep. You know, another meme that I saw just really signifies just uh, all the things that moms have to do, especially during uh, this season. I mean, you've had more work kind of added to you as you now try to move your kids through all of their homework. You balance the day-to-day responsibilities, and many of you are working from home. And so I like this meme that, that talks about Dolly Parton's song, Working 9 to 5. But instead of working 9 to 5, you are working from 9 to 9, 10. 9.45 to 10, 10.20 to 10.35, 12.30 to 2, 2.15 to 2.16, and and so forth. I mean, it's, it's hard to get anything done when you're constantly getting interrupted. But this last meme, I think that we can all uh, just laugh at because when we think about our favorite memory of 2020, I mean, 2020 has brought us many different memories. But when you think about your favorite memory, one mom puts it this way. My favorite memory for 2020 so far was probably waking up in the morning and sending my kids to school. (laughs) That was neat. I don't know. So moms, you are not alone and you are special. And thank you for being the glue that kind of holds our family together. You are doing a great work. Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 as we're going to continue through our series, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I mean, last week we saw how a group of people needed to endure through a season of suffering. They were going through some intense persecution that was affecting uh, all the things in their life. I mean, all this persecution was resulting in public humiliation. It was uh, displaying physical abuse. They were watching their friends being personally attacked. They were feeling the loss of personal property, and they were... uh, having to resign to sometimes prison sentences. And so as you can imagine, this was extremely hard to endure. And so, and like many of us, when we are going through a season of suffering, they were starting to think about, is there an easier way to get through this? Is there a way that we can ease the pain or ease the suffering? Or at least, is there a way that we can move through this season a little more quickly? 
But the author of Hebrews is, is going to tell them is that you have a choice that you have a choice in the way that you're going to suffer, in the way that you go through this season. And it's going to be a choice of faith. So let's start reading in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse one. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Verse five. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found. Because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous that comes by faith. As we take a look this morning at this passage, we're going to be taking a look at what it looks like to choose faith. And I've separated our talk into three thoughts. The first one is the alternative to faith. The second one will be a description of faith. And then finally, we'll take a look at a witness of faith. So let's take a look at the alternative to faith. Because remember that, again, when this congregation was accepting Jesus as their Savior, they were thinking about all the great benefits of what would come with him as, as their Savior. I mean, that's what this author was talking about for a long time. It was what we've discovered uh, through the first 10 chapters in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus was the greater prophet. He was the greater high priest, that he is the greater sacrifice. But now as a result of their beliefs that their life is being flipped upside down, everything in their life is being affected and they are struggling to accept this new normal. They don't know who to trust. They didn't feel safe. They didn't know what to do. But as much as the author was concerned about their physical well-being, he was even more concerned about their spiritual well-being. See, he knew that when we go through times of suffering in these hard moments, is that it's more of a spiritual war than it is a physical war. He, he knows that it's be, you know, because the way we suffer is just as important as what we are suffering. See, the way we suffer is just as important as what we are suffering. Because as each person goes through their choice, as each person's going through this season of suffering, that we have a choice on how the way that we're going to go through it. We're either going to run to God or we're going to run from God. Suffering reveals what is going on in our heart. See, when we are running from God, we are looking for all the alternative places to put our faith. I mean, think about the alternative to faith. I mean, if, if you have a chance, I mean, if you're watching from Facebook or YouTube, I mean, you can type into the chat, what is the antonym or what is the opposite of faith? Some of you might be thinking it's fear. Some of it may be doubt. 
disbelief, or distrust. But let me throw out another word for you. Maybe the opposite of faith is certainty. Because when we are certain about the wrong person or when we are certain about the wrong thing, it can hinder our faith in God. It can make us go the exact opposite direction than what God wants us to go to. It can make us run from God instead of run to God. And so suffering reveals what is going on in our heart. Suffering reveals who or where we place our hope. When we, go, when we are going through difficult seasons, when we're going through hard times, we are looking for other people, other places to put our faith. Many times we look at our leaders about coming up with answers and helping to decide what is the next steps. I mean, even now in this season, we watch the, the press briefings of our governor or, or our president and just waiting for them to tell us what the next step is for our society. But then we realize is that they can't get along, that they don't agree about what the next step is for us. And so it's hard for us to trust them all the time to, to believe and to believe, do they have our best interests at, in their heart? Sometimes we look to our friends and, uh, for, for help in our time of suffering, only to be disappointed or, or maybe just to be given an antidote or a simple platitude. Others of us may turn to social media to help garner support or, or to make us feel validated. But pretty soon what we see is that, is that the only person that we can trust, or this is what we think, the only person that we can trust is ourself. We become self-reliant upon our decisions, our desires, our intentions, our abilities. See, we want to be in control of our life because we know that we are our best advocate. There's no question about where my loyalty is when it comes to my life, that I know what the mission is. The mission is, is to keep my life moving forward. The mission is to make all the right decisions, is to live in constant happiness. See, we believe that if we're in charge, then everything will work out in our favor. But one of the hardest lessons of life, one of the hardest lessons for us to realize in this time of suffering is that we're not in control. That these seasons are too big and, and too great and too hard for us to move through them alone. And that the people that we want to turn to are also, also can't help us move through it. That we need someone bigger and greater and stronger than the circumstance that is posing the problem. Suffering reveals our unrealistic expectation. You know, in the course of my life and, and through my career, I've, I've noticed is that most people want to be certain about the best case scenario in their life. I mean, we want to achieve complete efficiency, maximum productivity at all times. Let me give you a couple of examples to just uh, to help my point. It's, is that we tend to budget our expenses at the very top of our income, never preparing for a rainy day. Or, or sometimes we, we budget uh, or, or plan our schedules to the maximum of capacity, never leaving any margin for error. Or when we're young, we feel invincible, I mean, almost immortal, because we always believe that we're, that we're going to be healthy, that our bodies are always going to feel this way. 
that we'll never have to give a second thought to any aches or pains that are going on with inside of us. Because we believe that life is always supposed to be going forward, that it's always supposed to be improving for us, that each year that we're supposed to have more money, a better job, a nice, nicer things than the year before. And because we're so certain about these expectations that we don't prepare when this truth or when this reality doesn't come. See, never, we, we usually never give a thought that maybe our life may need to take a step backwards, that it's not always going to roll out the way that we, that we want it to. That maybe there's going to be a time that we're going to have to file for unemployment. That maybe there's going to be a time where a, a virus is going to hit our nation and wreak havoc upon our economy. Maybe that there's going to be a time that we're going to have to seek medical attention and need help because our bodies doesn't feel the way that they normally do. See, we're not always going to be able to operate at 100%, at 100% of the time. Our expectations are not realistic. And our hope is usually wishful thinking. It's in these moments of suffering that reveals what we are really holding on to. And suffering tends to reveal our theology of God. See, many people, including Christians, have adopted the Pharisees' view of God. It's, it's this view that they believed and taught that if you are going through a hard and difficult season, if you are going through a tough time, a, a season of suffering, then God must be mad at you. That God is pouring down his wrath upon you. That he's condemning you. That he is uh, being vindictive at this moment. And it's in these moments that when we believe that God is doing this, that we tend to run away from God, that we close ourselves off to the person who can help us the most, who loves us the most. I like it how Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, it's hard to reach out for God's grace when you are thinking you're getting what you deserve. I mean, can we identify with that statement that it's hard to reach out for God's grace when you think you're getting what you deserve? But Hebrews 11 says that the, what the author is saying is that there is another way, that there is another choice, that you don't have to be certain or put your expectations into who you are or yourself. Or you don't have to be certain about your expectations or either certain about your view of God. But he's saying that you should choose to have faith in who God is and what he has said and what he has done for you. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we're going to see his description of faith. Let's read it again. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When we take a look at this word assurance in verse 1, it, what it literally means is certainty. That we can be certain of things hoped for. That we can have a conviction of things not seen. See, instead of being certain of all those other things that we've talked about, he's saying you can be certain of God. See, faith, whether natural or spiritual, is really about believing or trusting in someone. It's putting our trust in what they have said. It's putting our trust in what they have done. And how we trust them is really based on their track record or their previous history with us. 
I mean, many of us probably know of someone that will come and tell us something and we will believe anything that they have to say because they have proven themselves to be trustworthy. And then there are others who we listen to them and we take everything they say with a grain of salt. You know, our trust hinges upon a person's character and we can trust God because of his character. For those of us that have read the Old Testament, that what we've read and what we've seen time and time again is that when God introduces himself to a person, he will reveal himself or identify himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's, he's doing this. He's saying this for many different reasons. But one of the reasons is that he's, he's revealing that he is the covenantal God, that he is the God of the promise. And what he's telling these people is that the same promises that are true for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be the same promises for you. But what he's also saying is that as how I was faithful to them, I will be faithful to you. The author puts it this way, is that he is the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever. See, the, the, the men of old, the men and women of old could believe in his promises. And so we can believe in his promises. And a thousand years from now, people can believe in his promises because he is faithful. But faith is more than just a verbal affirmation. It's more than just religious belief. It's not passive, it's active, and it requires movement on our part. See, faith is believing in God's promises, but it's not just believing, it's not just affirming those promises, it's living like they're true. It's believing that those promises are true today. Faith is believing that God is not only going to fight the battles for us, but it's believing and living like he's already won. Faith is believing in the benefits of the kingdom now, but knowing that they will enjoy the fullness of his promises in the future. See, when we are putting faith in God's promises, when we are putting faith in what God, what God has said, we are putting our faith in God himself. He's becoming the object of our faith. I like how Jesus says it in Luke chapter 17, verse 6. He says, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea and it would obey you. See, the mustard seed is this Jewish idiom. It's this Jewish phrase that they used all the time when they were talking about something very small. This mustard seed was a very small seed. And when it was planted, it was only in a few weeks that, that a, a mustard seed that would grow by feet. And so they, people would use this phrase all the time. So this wasn't new, uh, a new phrase that Jesus was saying. But what he's saying is new. He's saying, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could do, you, you could see great things. You know, and I used to think that when I read this verse or heard this story, that all I needed in my faith, I needed my faith to be bigger. I needed to be greater. I needed to be stronger. That if I could just conjure up enough faith, then, then I could do great things. But the trees never moved for me. I don't know about you, but the trees never moved. 
But what I've since realized is that I was trying to make myself the object of my faith. My faith was about me. It was about who I am and what I can do. But what Jesus is telling the disciples is this, is that if you have the smallest amount of faith, a seed of the mustard seed, right? The smallest amount of faith in an infinite God, then you can do great things. If you had the smallest amount of faith in an infinite God, then it will allow you to see the power of God. And if you have come to Jesus by faith, you've already experienced his resurrecting power. See, when we make God the object of our faith, it will change how we make decisions. It will change what we desire. It will change what moves us and and, and what moves our will. It will change how we reform our life. See, when we make God the object of our faith, we will find boldness in our discouragements. We will find joy in our difficulties. We will find a new resolve to face our fears. We will find a comfort that no matter how bad the storm gets or how uncertain the circumstances are, we can be certain that God is faithful and he will be true to his promises. It will move our hope from wishful thinking to a realistic expectation. Another part of faith for us to see is that faith allows us to be certain of the evidences, of the evidence. There are many people who talk about faith like it's blind or it's like leaping into the unknown, but it's actually just the opposite. Faith allows us to see the evidence of a tangible expression of God's love. It allows us to see the unseen and it gives reality, reality to the things that are invisible. And the author brings up creation, the story of creation in verse three to kind of illustrate his point. He says, again, we read, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. For thousands of years, there have been questions, developed theories, contemplated philosophies of how the earth was formed. Textbooks have been written. Professors have taught based off off of their belief. But still to this day, there are questions about, does the earth have a beginning? Or is it eternal? Was the earth formed out of nothing or was it formed from something? Was the earth formed through the spoken word or through an explosion? Does the earth have an intelligent design or was it just created by chance? But when we come by faith, we, see, we don't see the questions, we see the answers. See, when we go outside and we look around and we see nature all around us, we, what we see is a world that's too big, too complex, too organized for it to be formed by random coincidence. We see the evidence of God who created this earth from his goodness to demonstrate his love for us. Creation is the evidence of the creator and it gives us the ability to see the unseen. I like how the apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter one, verse 20. He says, for his invisible attributes, the things that are unseen, the things that that we can't see, Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. We have been able to see them. 
ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. See, we can take comfort in knowing that if God spoke the world into being, that when we go through times of suffering, that we can hold on to his spoken word. We can take comfort in knowing that if God can hold the entire world in his hands, how easy is it for him to hold our world in his hands? You know, when my, when my kids were little, one of the things that we enjoyed the most was, was I would take my kids and I would put them kind of on the armrest of the couch and then they would jump into my arms. They would just leap in, into my embrace. And we would do this over and over again. And now, you know, after four kids and many years and many jumps, you know, the couches that we still have have kind of broken armrests and you know, these big indents because they've just jumped off of, off of our couch. You know, and I would catch them and, and let them down. And they would just jump up again. And, and the thing that, you know, they started to trust me so much that there'd be times where I would just be walking past the couch, not even ready to play this game, but they would run, they would jump on the armrest and just leap toward me, making me have to react and quickly, quickly jump them, quickly catch them. <laughs> but like my kids, faith is deciding to jump into the arms of God who has caught us every single time. Faith is looking on to God with joy and laughter, knowing that he loves us and that he wants to just hold us into his embrace. Faith is, is finding comfort and security in his arms. Faith is being able to see the unseen. Let's take a look at the witness of faith. In, in, in verse seven, we see by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteous that comes by faith. After the fall of Adam and Eve, the, the world began to, became to grow more and more wicked. People were trying to separate themselves from God. They were trying to live independently by living however that they wanted to live. We, we, we would see them uh, as we read scripture that they hungered for power, that they engaged in immoral behavior, that they made unjust decisions. And after a while, God looked upon his creation and regretted that he made mankind. And he decided that he was going to destroy the earth by sending a flood. But in the midst of this society, in the midst of, of all of this wickedness that's going around, there was one man and, and one family who walked with God. That they decided that they were going to live their lives and totally, totally different. That they were going to choose God and live towards his promises. That he wasn't going to be like everyone else, but he was going to, and, and live towards the pleasures of the world, but that he wanted his soul to be unified with the pleasures of God. And the Bible says in the book of Genesis that God was pleased with Noah and he decided to reveal his plan uh, to him. He told Noah that he was going to flood the earth that he was going to send a flood that more rain and, and more water than Noah could even dream of. And that he needed Noah to build a boat, a boat bigger than what he's ever seen. 
A, a boat, an ark that's big enough to house he and his family and two of every kind of animal. Now you can imagine how hard it was for Noah to, to hear all of these things. I mean, Noah probably maybe didn't totally agree with the plan. Maybe he wondered if there was an easier way. Maybe that there was a more simple way. As he's probably processing all of this, I mean, he's probably thinking, God, what you are asking of me is going to be, it's going to be big. It's going to be great. What you're asking of me is going to be extremely difficult. What you're asking of me is going to make me extremely unpopular with everyone around me. But the Bible says is that Noah believed God's word and did everything that God commanded him. He chose to believe in the words of God. And so he went and he got his toolbox out. He pulled out the hammer and he started building the ark. Now you can, again, imagine that as he's building the ark that he probably felt the stares of everyone around him. What are you doing, Noah? He probably heard the ridicule of, of all of his neighbors and people. He probably heard and saw the laughter as people just laughed at the craziness that they saw. But in all this time, as people are probably expressing their, uh, their anger and, and, and how mean that they are, Noah continued to tell them the choice that you can choose a different faith, that you can choose what you are certain of, that you don't have to be certain of this world, but you can be certain of God and the rain is going to fall and judgment is going to come and that you can be with us in the ark. But the Bible says that no one decided a different choice. Only Noah and his family chose to believe in the promise of God. But over the course of time, Noah kept believing Noah kept building. Noah kept living to God's promise. He kept doing all of these things until he felt this, the raindrop that came. And then he knew that the time has come, that God's promise was coming true today. See, faith compels us to live differently. Faith compels us to do things that we can't see. Faith compels us to live in the promises of God. Noah wasn't certain, maybe certain about God's entire plan, but, God, but he was certain about God's promise. And when we go through hard times, when people are laughing at us, when people are questioning our belief, we may not be certain about the world around us, but we can be certain about who we put our trust in. We can be certain about God's promise for us. You know, and maybe it's, it's God's thought that during this season, this, this difficult season that we're going into is that he wants us to see what's really going on in our heart. That he wants our heart to be revealed about who or what we're putting our trust into. For us to kind of self-evaluate what promises, what expectations that we really are holding on to. Or maybe it's during this season that he wants other people to see how we're making choices. What expressions of our faith are they watching? 
because suffering tends to shine a spotlight down upon our life. And people who know that you're a believer, people know that you live your life differently and you hold yourself to different values and different beliefs are watching you and seeing how you go through this time. What makes you laugh? What makes you angry? What type of peace do you have? What are you holding on to? They want to see what's different about you. How are you living your life? See, when we walk by faith, we see God above everything else. It's that verse, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. When we choose God, when we put him first, we desire the things that he desires. We find that the things that please him are going to please us we find that we desire to be intentional about our pursuit of holiness. We don't just wake up one day and and all of a sudden have faith. God tells us in verses five and six that that we need to draw near to him, that, that when we live intentionally in righteousness, that is what pleases him, that we can be intentional about our faith. You know, faith doesn't mean that we will always agree with God's plan. It doesn't mean that, that we're always um, gonna have problems that are easy or they'll just come and go. That each problem will just quickly go away. Faith doesn't mean that we will never be afraid. But what it does mean is that throughout all of our problems, that we believe in the character and the promise of God, that we trust him. And what we know is this, is that that we worship a God who knows exactly what we're going through. That everything that we're experiencing, that he has experienced, that that how we need to trust God is how he needed to trust God in the darkest and hardest time as he was on the cross uh, being crucified for our sins. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says it this way, for to you, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus continued to entrust himself to God the Father. And he was innocent. He was undeserving. But he kept moving forward for us. As we're wrapping up, I just want to leave you with a few questions to help us just see where our faith is during this time. The first question is, is what does suffering reveal about my faith? What is this exposing about us? What am I seeing and what am I holding on to? The second question is, how am I putting God first in my life during this season? How am I being intentional with my my walk and how am I living to please him? Thirdly is, what do my choices say about about my faith to those around me? What are they seeing? What, What is my witness saying about me? As we 
look at this book of Hebrews. In this chapter, in Hebrews 11, I mean, we tend to idolize the characters in this chapter. I, I mean, from the very beginning, I've, I've known this chapter as the heroes of faith. I mean, men and women of old who just seem to have done great things. Maybe they're superhuman, but they're probably not. They are men and women who are just like us, who decided to take the next step of faith. They decided that they were going to believe in God's promise, that they were going to move forward. You know, as, and as the author is writing to his congregation, as he's writing to these group of Jewish believers, what, he's, what, what, what we don't know is we don't know their name. We don't know their story. We don't know the way that they're suffering, but what we do know is that he's encouraging them to walk by faith. And as you're watching right now, I may not know your name. I may not know your story. I may not know the way that you are suffering, but let me encourage you to choose faith. But to choose faith, to, to, to walk by faith, it means that we need to take out our toolbox. We need to take out our hammer. And we need to start building. God has given you a great plan. He has a great plan for your life. The question is, is will you choose faith? Let's pray. God, you have revealed to us of just how you entrusted yourself to the Father Lord, I just pray that we will just imitate that as the Bible said that you set for us an example. I pray that we will watch your example and decide that we want to choose to put our life, to trust you with all things uh, of our life into your hands. God, I just pray that in this time that we will reflect and evaluate what we're holding on to. And if it's things that are not of you, God, I pray that we release them to you. God, I pray that as we move through this, this season, that as we look upon you and your power, that we make you the object of our faith, that we believe in who you are, what you've said and what you've done for us. Lord, that we will just have a small amount of faith because you are an infinite God with great power. And Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. God, I pray that we will choose faith today and every other day. In Jesus' name, amen.